for listening to another episode of Cosmic Peach. I'm Julia, and today we have on a very, very special guest. It is my brother, David <laughs> Hamilton. And how are you doing today, brother? I'm good. It's so weird to see you like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm official. I know. It's so cool. That's what we were just talking about before we came on here. It's just like it's the, the idea that you're doing a podcast is inspirational. Makes me feel like I could I could do it, you know. Well, our cousin Brian is talking about starting a podcast too. Did you know that? He does. He always said a lot of people always say they want to do podcasts with me. You know what I mean? And they think I'm funny or they think whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like I catch it all the time. So this is like props to you. People are always like, let's do podcasts. Let's do podcast. You're the first one that's actually done it. And I never <laughs> heard you. I never heard you talk about it. You know what I mean? You were just like, all of a sudden, it was one day I started getting these things on the text being like podcasting. Like and I'm like, and then all of a sudden, you're just on it. And I'm like, man, <laughs> she's got a podcast. This is awesome. I wasn't playing around. <laughs> no, you weren't. That's awesome. That's what you should do, you know? Have an idea and go for it. That's the way it is. Well, speaking about that, can you tell all the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living? <laughs> well, I'm your brother. And uh, I'm a musician and I have a family here in Geneva, Ohio, and I get to play music for a living, which is crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'm not like super famous or anything like that, but it's like I get to do something that I love. And, and actually, I, I would imagine, obviously, I can't say because I've never experienced the, the big money side of it, but I would think the most fun part about doing this for a living is the people you meet really mm -hmm. because it's like there's probably people who have a lot more money than me who will never get to see and do the kind of crap I've gotten to see and do <laughs> you know what I mean for for free just because mm -hmm. like you just happen to be in the you know in that whatever that business is you know well I think um, a lot of this stuff that's happened to you it has been like pure luck if you want to call yes. it like it's like oh I just happened to be at this place at this time and I met this person and I was like what the yeah. fuck are you talking about you just <laughs> happened to meet I always <laughs> laugh I always laugh when I hear other people talk about in order to make it it takes a lot of hard work and it's like no luck it takes a lot of luck you have to be <laughs> super lucky and then the hard work helps you know what I mean it's like once you get a little bit lucky then the hard work kind of begins but it's like that seriously that's the that's the the key to the formula is the luck part. Mm -hmm. So you have two bands. Yeah. Yeah. I Go do ahead. the Sunrise Jones. Well, I do the Sunrise Jones, which is like a cover band. Obviously, you want to, you, you use the cover band to pay the bills. You know what I mean? And then so that you can do something that you really enjoy doing a lot. Actually, I enjoy doing both bands and they're fun. 
And the Sunrise Jones has actually been the band where it's gotten to take me and see like a lot, meet a lot of really cool people. I mean, we did the NFL draft. We've done like weddings for people you wouldn't believe. I don't like to say, but like a lot of people in the music industry, you know, we've gotten to play their events and like, it's been, it's, it's, it's neat. And that's the, that's the band that you kind of set out doing for money. You play the cover tunes, you know, let's make them dance and whatever. And it's like, but it's an interesting business. Once you get into it, it's, it's, it's very, it's a really strange industry to be in, uh, the entertainment business on a local level. Um, so you get to see and do a lot of really cool stuff there. And then of course I do a band called Uptight Sugar, which is what I, the stuff I write, and you know what I mean? I do it with all the same guys basically, but it's like just my own stuff and sort of my own little personal release. You know, mm-hmm. my artwork, if you will. I guess that's my podcast. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if if all of our listeners are nice and maybe go and stalk you on Instagram, we'll have you <laughs> convinced yeah. to write my jingle. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should. I don't know why we Fuck yeah. Yet. Well, you know, what's funny about that is when you say jingles, that's another part of what I've done. I like, and I never meant to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's again, the lucky part, but I fell into um, singing on uh, jingles and greeting cards and all that kind of stuff for American greetings as an independent contractor. It was through my buddy, Mike, who's in one of my bands and he actually runs all these amazing. Uh, And he's had my voice on with, all kinds of crazy people i mean like just the i honestly when i think about it it's it's strange when you think about how many little projects you've done with strange people like that but it's like and again that's why you know i don't have a million dollars but i i got i got to sing with smoky robinson one time so that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't get to be in the same room with dolly parton but my voice is with hers on a project for american greetings so there you go there's that um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like when you really start thinking about it, just all these crazy things have happened and it all just comes back to I just feel lucky that I was sort of in the right place at the right time, you know, around the right people who, who did, you know, uh, shouldn't have but believed in me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with that being said, who do you think is the craziest person you've ever met? Uh, well, you're probably prodding me towards Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> but that I, I honestly don't think he's probably the craziest one. Like he's he's probably one of the the lesser. Cra- I would say his manager John is crazier than him. Uh, <laughs> that managed Uptight Sugar for a long time, John Mom. He uh, he between the two, I would say if one of them was clinical, it would be John. And then, uh, and he would be the one that walks around in the suit carrying the briefcase in the music industry. That's kind of how it works. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say, I think people are all a little less crazy than people imagine them to be. And that's the other thing, you know, they always, the old saying, never meet your idols because you'll just be disappointed. And I don't think that's just because you meet them and you realize that they're bad people. I think they mean that because that you realize they're regular people and that they take dumps every day of their life. You know what I mean? And <laughs> sometimes it comes out a little loose, uh, <laughs> but like, 
in the end, they're really cool people. Like, I mean, you talk about Manson, you talk to him. He's less crazy than just he likes to just talk about cool stuff. And he has great stories. Um, and it's funny because, like, that's, you know, with all, like, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard stuff that goes on right now. And he's close friends with Johnny Depp and all that. And, and the stories they tell are just, like, boyish stories about having a good time. I, I never heard anything inappropriate from him. You know what I mean about any of that kind of stuff. And it's Marilyn Manson. You know what I mean? It's like they always just talk about pranking each other. And, you know, there's probably some drugs and stuff going on or whatever like that. But it's all in good fun. I never hear weird stuff about any of those people. It's strange how the media. You know how many stuff. conspiracy theories there are about those two, though? Yeah. Well, I, no, probably not. Not as many as you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there, there's a lot of. And I know you're not as far down the rabbit hole as I am, but like there are some weird stories about the pair of them. Did you ever feel like Manson was like, what was the feeling in the room when you met him? Was he creepy? No, he's, he's all inspiring. Cause when he walks in the room, it's like I, everyone just pays attention. You know what I mean? Obviously he's gigantic. He's tall. And then on top of it, he wears these gigantic shoes that give him like an extra foot. So when he walks in the room, he's like standing above everybody else. And obviously his makeup is, you know, I mean, he's Marilyn Manson. He's just got this, he's a, he's a larger than life persona. So you're not creeped out. You're just sort of in awe of him. And then if you get to sort of like walk around with him, it's cool because like someone like that is, uh, it's such a larger than life person that people assume if you're with them, you must be somebody too. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you're just kind of walking yeah. around sort of, sort of in awe of the process of how people just treat you different just because you're within 10 feet of the guy. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it's like, so uh, yeah, not, not creepy at all. And then the makeup comes off and they're just sitting there handing you beers. You know what I mean? And then you're just kind of, you're just talking about normal crap. Uh, or well, there's a lot of great stories that he tell, and I'm not going to get into all the stuff he tell me. But again, like I said, you know, you get privy to some of the neat stories that they'll tell you about other people. And I, I, I know I mentioned to you before, and you thought it was a funny story. And I'll tell you the one, the one time I was with him, we, he was wearing a pair of Hunter S. Thompson's glasses, and if you know Hunter S. Thompson, you know the iconic sort of like aviators with like the yellow these were actually like orange lenses and like um he was sitting there and I and and he was telling me about the glasses and I was just like I'm a huge fan of Hunter S. Thompson right so just the idea that he had met him talked to him kind of became friends with him and like was I thought that was amazing and he's just telling me these stories about him and then he's sitting there and he's like he's like you want to try him on and I was like <laughs> yeah yeah I want to try him on and he, and he hands me these glasses and he put them on and, and we just started drinking a little bit and he, he was drinking, uh, he liked absinthe and he would drink a little bit of absinthe and mix it with stuff. And I was afraid of it. He handed me a little glass of it and I just kind of sat it there and didn't really touch it. I kind of pretended to sip on it because I heard weird things about it and nobody, you don't want to get all crazy around him. You know what I mean? It's like, it makes mm -hmm. you fool yourself. So I just kind of sat mine off to the side a little bit, but like the more it went on the more he got drunk and we got a little toasty or whatever and we're kind of sitting there and i began to realize that he was walking away and i still had the glasses 
And like any human being, I had this moment where you kind of get the devil and angel on each shoulder. And it's like, you know, what if, what if he just never remembers he gave me, I could have Hunter S. Thompson's glasses via Marilyn Manson, which is a really cool story at that point. You know what I mean? And I was like, but right at the last minute, of course, I did the right thing and, and ran back up to him. And I said, hey, don't forget these. You know what I mean? And I handed them back to him. But that, like, just how cool is that? You know what I mean? And again, you probably it might not be an experience you can buy with a million dollars. You know what I mean? So just right. like, I don't know. Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> but you never got a weird vibe that like, because there's uh, some conspiracy theories that Hunter S. Thompson was a pedophile <laughs> uh i i can't i would i would not be able to say i like I, I mean obviously i never met him i've never heard stories about that but it's like it wouldn't i wouldn't put it past people i have really weird thoughts about that kind of stuff i i mean it's just like but again it's not it's not who might have called somebody that well, yeah, and it's like as long as when you didn't put the glasses on, you had a sudden urge to drink blood. I'm no, I'm okay with that I story. Hear, I hear, but there's all you guys have all the weird theories too about like uh, what do they call it? The what's the what's the stuff you have to drink out of kids or something? Adrenochrome. You knew it. I knew you would know the name of it. <laughs> I did. Um, but yeah, so that's like kind of hooked to him too. I just think he was such a crazy guy. People. And he did, he mentioned that, but he was just an amazing writer. You know what I mean? And it doesn't surprise me that people like heard that and were like, wow, that makes sense, man. The guy was, he was a brilliant genius. So it's like, I, but you know, I, I doubt that's a real thing that people do. I, do you think people eat babies and stuff? I guess people do it somewhere, right? I mean, there's a lot of weird coincidences and you people draw conclusions from that yeah. but i you just have to kind of listen to my podcast and see kind of the weird connections yeah, with no, stuff I and you, it, you start it, scratching that your stuff, head and you're like okay that's there's weird some, there's some really interesting there's some really interesting things out there i will give you that and it's like but i mean like i said when you talk about like celebrities and stuff like that just from you know i haven't met like a bajillion celebrities or anything but i i find that they're always way less uh, crazy or whatever, how people portray them to be than they are when you actually meet them. Like I said, I, I have found that the people in their orbit tend to be crazier than them. You know, mm -hmm. I heard a lot of story. I won't even mention names, but I, a lot of stories about Manson and previous women that he was with accusing him of a bunch of things and stuff like that. And I can tell you, I was around some of them and they were way crazier and he was way more calm and like, and just in my experience, you know what I mean? And maybe whatever they were in their moment or whatever like that. But it's like, I can tell you for a fact, the people in his orbit are nuttier than him, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of, he's at the, he's the black hole in the middle. <laughs> Taking yeah. it all in, I guess. So have you ever heard that, like, in order to get as big as he is, you have to pay the fiddler. And so there are like these blackmail things that they'll have you do in order to be like, well, do you want fame? Do you want power? Will you do this? Will you do that? And if you agree to it and you pay the price, then you can have all the fame you want and all the. And so it made me think of that story you told that one time where you were singing Bruce Springsteen at the Hard Rock Cafe. Can you tell that story? Uh, yeah, the, the guy that owned 
the guy that owned all the hard rock cafe, we didn't know this. And again, this is weird when you're in a cover band, but stuff that happens and like you just the, the weird events, but he, so we were playing a lot of shows at the hard rock cafe at the time. And they, they told us the guy that was running the shows called us up before one of these gigs and said, we've got a super special guest coming. And he's a huge fan of the band foreigner and of the band, Bruce Springsteen you know, or the artist Bert Springsteen, whatever, the E Street band. And could you guys learn a few tunes by those bands? And and we played none of those bands. Like that's like, you know what I mean? So we're like, okay. And you sort of take that as a challenge. And you're like, all right, let's mm-hmm. try, let's do that. And, and who's the special guest? We don't know. It's a hard rock. It could be anybody, right? So we're thinking different rock stars. We're thinking maybe someone from one of those two bands was going to be there, whatever like that. And they wanted to play some of their own music I don't know what it was but like it turns out that it was the guy that that owns all of the hard rocks uh I'll get in so much trouble his name was Jimmy Allen and he (laughs) but this story happened so I don't care I've never told anybody about it but he um he shows up and it was just the craziest dude you could ever imagine I mean crazy like he makes Manson look like a, a toddler and I mean, he was telling, he was, he was telling stories about like, he, he kept on, he was infatuated about Madonna for some reason. And he kept talking about Madonna and he kept on talking about when he met Madonna and that he never liked it when Spicoli was around, but <laughs> he was referring to Sean Penn. Sean he, he was Finn. like, I think married to at the time. And like, he kept on calling him Spicoli, which I thought was just hilarious that he wouldn't refer to him as Sean Penn. Uh, because obviously if I met Trump and I was like, Mr. Penn, you know what I mean? And he's like, Spigoli is always there and slapping his gums. And, you know what I mean? It's like saying all this stuff. But like, as the night went on, it got crazier and crazier. And then he would offer us, he, he would, he was like loving the music we were playing. And he's like, if you'll just play one, play three more songs, I'll give you guys $10,000. And we're just like, of course, okay three more songs heck yeah we were supposed to be done playing 15 minutes ago but yeah no problemo uh ten thousand dollars three more songs play five more songs i'll give you 15 more grand total of 25 you know i mean he's just going to these astronomical numbers and like uh so we're of course we're playing and i think he got us to play like another hour and we were up to like maybe like 30 grand or something like that. I mean, it was like, so he was supposed to just pay us, you know, we're like, he owns all the play. He owns all the hard rocks. He's good for it. Right. Um, so we played this whole thing. That's it. And I'll finish that story in a minute. So we played this whole thing. We come off and he sits down. He wants to talk to us. He's telling us what a great band we are, uh, which by the way, he told us we were terrible at playing Bruce Springsteen, which I thought was funny too. Um, <laughs> but he's like, you guys, you guys are great. And, I, and we were funny to us because we were like, do you see a saxophone player in the band, dude? Uh, <laughs> but like, anyway, you thought we were a really great band and he's talking and he had gotten really, really drunk and he starts getting into all these stories. And again, just out of protection, I won't go into everything that he said, but it was absolutely insane. at one point he asked us all to just get on his to go over to Burke Lakefront and get on his jet and fly to the Bahamas tonight. Um. And I, we just all kind of looked at each other and we're just like, is this happening right now? And it's like, and I, I remember specifically what I said to him. I said, I don't think my wife and kids would appreciate it if I just flew off to the Bahamas with you tonight. You know what I mean? And he's just like, well, okay, that, that rain check, rain check. Long story short, 
we we call the hard rock after all this goes on to get our money right like that he paid us for for this thing and we go through these different levels of people different levels of people and they're trading us off to this guy and this and this guy and finally this one guy calls me up and jimmy had given me his card like his personal card with like his cell phone number on it and he's like if you have any problems you call me right up and this guy just called about a week later we're having such a hard time getting this money finally this guy calls me and he goes he goes yeah listen uh i just here to call you about the jimmy situation he goes look you're not going to get that money uh he does that to he does that to a lot of people he goes in promises a lot of money i got to come in and clean it up he goes uh and oh oh yeah and by the way did did he give you his personal card and i was like yeah he did he goes good lose it And I was like, wow, that's cool. And of course I didn't lose it. I still have it. You know, I, I often every now and then I come across in a drawer. I think I should prank call him. You know what I mean? Um, where's my 30 grand? Where's my like 30 the kid grand? from, uh, the kid from better off dead. Better off yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> 30 I want my 30,000. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that's again, that's just some some of those things, man, that you get that you get to do that you can never you can't put that price tag on. That's still that's a really uh funny night that only me think, and my band know about. Well, do you think if you would have hopped on the jet and went off to the Bahamas, you would have left your ass there? <laughs> Honestly, the state he was in, I don't know if we would have made I mean, do you even need a passport? I don't think I had a passport. It's like maybe rich people don't need them. I don't know. You know, he probably wasn't worried about it. He's like, we'll just stay at my own hotel, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did, I never really got that far. It never occurred to me to actually go. I just thought it was funny that he, you know, would, mm-hmm. that, that that's what was on his mind. It's like, he wasn't like, let's find another place and have a, have another highball. It's let's get on a plane <laughs> and fly to the Bahamas tonight. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a different life. So how did you end up meeting Lou? Uh, Lou, the Lou thing was again, just pure luck. And again, that's so, that's so crazy. And for those of, for those of us who don't know what I'm referring to, who is Lou? Uh, Lou, Lewis Clark is one of the founding members of the band Electric Light Orchestra. And again, it makes you feel like you live in the matrix because it's like, I grew up basically like idolizing two bands and that was the Beatles and Electric Light Orchestra. And like everybody that knew me knew that that was my, like the Beatles here and ELO here. And then there was everybody else kind of dropped off. And um, so strangely enough that it was him, but uh, one, one show we're doing these Beatles brunches, which again, is just so strange how they came about. Um, the Beatles, but we were doing shows in Cleveland and we were just playing like mostly, uh, you know, eighties dance stuff, a little bit of disco, just like classic rock, whatever people like to listen to, you know, we, we called ourselves fleshy jukebox, you know, (laughs) that if you hang around long enough, we'll eventually play a song that you like. And, um, one time we were at the music box doing one of those kind of shows. I think it was like maybe an eighties show or something like, or no, no, it must've been like a classic rock type show. And at the end we played Hey Jude, which was just a song that I love. I'm just a Beatles fan. And forever since I've been playing music, I've always ended my shows with Hey Jude just because I love it. And people always, it's a great song. And we did it uh, at the end of that show at the music box in Cleveland. And the people that owned the music box were like, man, that was great. That was like amazing Beatles. You know what I mean? Do you guys, would you guys be interested in doing 
an all Beatles show for us. Um, and of course, when you're in a band, you just say yes to everything. Um, and we're just like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's do that. And then, and then we all kind of got together and we're like, Does any, do any of you guys know any more Beatles songs? Like no one knew any Beatles songs except for we just did, we knew that one. But like, I have found that my bands at least do, we do a lot better when you, we have something to work towards. Um, and it helps us to not be lazy, you know, like actually have a project to focus on. So we were like, well, let's learn a ton of Beatles songs and let's go do these shows. Well, we started doing them. And they got so big that they were just selling out all the time. Like there was just like, we did like two, almost maybe three years worth of sellouts of these shows. And uh, one time we get a knock on our door. We would play a set, take a break, and then have another set. We'd just take a little break in between. We had this little green room off to the stage. And one time we got a knock on the door. And this lady who's actually become a really good friend of mine now, Marianne, uh she it was her and i had never met her before obviously but she's just there it's joined she goes hi i just wanted to come back and just meet you guys you guys are great and everything she's like but i've got someone out there with me who's just really really impressed with your band and he just wants to meet you and and, and if he you know if that's all right his name is luke clark and he's right over there and he, if you guys wouldn't mind taking a minute after the show just come over and say hi he just love that and i was like sure that's great um and she goes back to her seat and then me and my bass player adam are sitting there and we both the name lou clark was kind of like rattling around in our heads like lou clark lou clark and 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 he just googled it on his phone real quick and he's like lou clark that name and i'm like i know it's just so familiar and he pulled it up and it was and lou clark of yellow was the first thing that popped up obviously and um and i'm like you don't think and i looked out and and I swear to God, I was just like, oh, he looks a little bit older than I remember. But yep, that's it. I, that's him. I think that's him. <laughs> and immediately it made me think of this story of like uh, of Elton John telling this story about when the first time he came and played in America and he was playing in, in L.A. somewhere. And he said right before he went on stage, somebody came and told him that Leon Russell was in the crowd in the second row. And that was like Elton John's idol. And he said he wished nobody would have told him that because he said he almost couldn't play the show. He was so nervous knowing that he was out. Well, that's kind of what that did to me. Like once <laughs> I knew he was out there, I still had to go out there and play that second set. I knew he was sitting right out there, just, you know. But I tried kind of calm myself down by saying, well, he, if he wants to meet us, he must be somewhat impressed so far. So maybe let's just keep doing what we're doing and try not to fall apart. And maybe we're on to something, you know. But at any rate, after the show I did, I went over and, and talked to him, sure enough, real deal. And uh, we sat and he bought me drinks. And just I basically just sat there and didn't say anything. And he just told me amazing stories about like just his, I mean, he's met Beatles. Um, I will tell you one story that I thought was funny and I still think of it today because it's probably the best compliment I've ever got as a musician. But he said, you know, you're the best. He said, the only band I've ever heard play the Beatles better than you. And he said, I've heard them all. He said, the only band I've ever heard play the Beatles better than you are the Beatles. And then, <laughs> and, and I was like, and I was, and I kind of sat back and was like, wow, man, that's the nicest thing anybody has ever said about me musically of someone I respect that much. And then he kind of got this funny, like crooked smile on his face. And he looked up at me and he goes, actually, I take that back. He said, when I saw the Beatles, 
all you could hear were girls screaming and they played like crap. And he's like, so actually you play the Beatles better than the Beatles did. <laughs> and I was oh like, you know, if I was ever going to be that kind of guy that gets like words tattooed on their body, like that would probably be what I would have tattooed on my body. And at the bottom, I would say, Luke, Mark, quote. But it's like, uh, yeah. And, and again, he became, he became a friend, him and his family, his wife, Gloria and his kids. And he, uh, his son, Luke Clark Jr. is a conductor, uh, and still lives in the UK and, and still does really awesome stuff. And they had a band called the orchestra where they would still go around and play ELO music together, but he retired and actually moved to Illyria, which isn't far, it's just outside of Cleveland from around here. And again, just the luck of that. He met his wife at Richfield Coliseum back in the early, early eighties or late seventies. And um, when he kind of stopped touring, like on a huge level, he moved back here with her to like where her family was at. And I got to meet him that one time at Maddie's party and I about shitted up- a whole golden brick <laughs> <laughs> you, well, well, because I thought it was just some old guy in a wheelchair. I was like, how does Dave know this guy? And I was like, hi, I'm Dave's that. sister. And he was like, hello, I'm Lou from Electric Light Orchestra. And yeah. I was like, okay, let me go have a panic attack real quick and I'll be right back. I was like, what the fuck? He's just sitting here candidly just enjoying conversation with our family. Talk about, talk about street cred. And again, when you, when you talk about luck and how everything is luck, um, we didn't, me and Meg didn't invite him to that. We do, we like literally <laughs> because, well, well, no, no, no. Because like in a million years, I never would think if I lay that invite out to them, they're going to drive an hour and a half all the way out to our house to, you know, for our daughter's open house, which is basically sitting. It was like 105 degrees that day. It was, it was I was sweating. It balls. was so hot. And like, so never would we have thought these guys will come and, and hang out. But what happened was we were talking about it around them. And they were like, oh, well, we'll come. Hey, let's, you mind if we stop? And we're like, oh, yeah, come by. You know what I mean? Yes, that'd be awesome. You know what I mean? And sure as shit, they showed up and like uh, had a great time. And of course, I let them, I, I brought them into, like we had a, we didn't really want people inside the house that day that much, but I brought them all in and let them hang out in the air conditioning in the dining room and just basically mm-hmm. brought them wine the entire time that they were there you know what I mean and I sat down and talked with him for a while but what an awesome thing to be able to say you know and he's passed away now and it's like I'll just quickly I'll touch on that and and again this is luck and things you can't buy with money um so when when Lou passed away it it felt sudden it felt really sudden for some reason and like I it, it um I was just, I was torn apart for their family. You know, me and Meg were like, we had gotten to know them really well. And, and like his wife is just an absolute sweetheart. And um, so we were just crushed for them, you know? And then I got a call uh, just out of the blue that was like, you know, Dave, if you, uh, Lou just loved your singing so much. And we would just be honored if you would just come and sing at Lou's funeral. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I didn't even know what's like that. It's probably the most nervous I've ever been, honestly. But I was like, oh my God. So um, I can't remember. Someone had said a song to me that they wanted me to play. And it was like, I, uh, I, do, I don't remember what that song was, but I, I sat down and I started working on whatever that song was. Now we're going to get a little conspiracy theory on you. But I sat down, I sat down playing, working on whatever that song was. So nervous thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? 
And it's almost like my brain, I, a voice came into my brain and was like, you're not playing this song. Um, you're playing a song called, you're playing Midnight Blue by ELO. And that's just this beautiful, and it's honestly, it's not really a song that's of all the ELO songs, it wasn't like on the top of my list. It wasn't like a top 20 song for me, you know, whatever like that. I knew of it, but like this voice clear as day came in my head and was like, the song is Midnight Blue. And so I learned Midnight Blue instead of the song that they asked me to learn. You know what I mean? And then I, I made a recording of it just on my phone and I sent it to Gloria. And I said, um, I said, I hope this is okay, but this is the song I'm thinking about singing. And she just flipped out. She fl completely flipped out. She's like, Dave, how in the world did you know? How did you, this was Lou's favorite song. This was Lou's favorite song that he, that he ever did. And I was like, I, I just, I, I, I was, blown. I, it's almost like he told me what song to play at his own. And again, you know, I'm not the conspiracy theory guy or the afterlife guy or anything like that. But I will say that was one moment that was very strange to me. Um, but to, to round that story out, wound up going to the funeral, singing at the funeral. They, 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 they uh, live streamed it to Europe. So there were people, and they told me this right before I went up to sing it. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> no pressure. Right in, front, right in front of the casket with the big, you know what I mean, flag draped over it. And just like, um, so I did that. And at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm through it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, now my nerves can go away. Now I'm just a guest here. I'm just sitting. I'll, I just have to listen to other people talk. Um, and like, so we get up and the, and the service ends and a lot of people said really beautiful stuff about him. It was just amazing. And like, uh, then we, we go over to the, to the uh, cemetery where he's going to be buried. You know what I mean? Just this beautiful, he's got an awesome spot, just like nature everywhere. And um, we get over there and as I'm walking up and like I said, I'm thinking, I'm just here, I'm just here. I'm just a guest now, you know what I mean? And all at once, here comes Gloria's daughter, Rachel. And, and she goes, Dave, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but we're realizing we don't have anything planned for, the, for, for, the, for here at the cemetery. Would you, would you come and, and like lead everybody in a song or something? So I found myself at the head of his casket again <laughs> draped in the british union jack you know what i mean the beautiful flag people everywhere as far as you can see and i just started singing uh let it be by the beatles and like beautiful though that like that vision has never left my eyes of getting to see that and all those people crying and singing and like paying their last respects to Lou and throwing their flags on its, uh, you know, casket and everything like that. And again, what was I doing there? How the heck do you get there? You know what I mean? And you would just say being at the right place at the right time. But again, um, they're just such good people. You know what I mean? And they just took took us right in you know what I mean and like we still go over and swim at Marianne's house and bring our kids over there and stuff like that and it's just really cool but like again I can't you can't quantify that in something I did I just was there and they liked me you know what I mean and you it's know what it so reminds me of all those those like at Forrest Gump he just happened to be there and it's like you, you wanted me <laughs> do you want me John Lennon 
I have you never to... thought about that. But you're right. I'm Forrest Gump. You're that's Forrest. Who, that's exactly who I am. I'm the Forrest Gump of the music industry. <laughs> but I never but was as successful. I'm not saying you're an idiot, but you know. no. But I wish I had half Forrest success. He invented but everything. No. So how did the how did the NFL draft thing come up? We still don't know. We're like <laughs> we're, we're the luckiest people in the whole world. Here, here's here's what we got out of it. As far as I knew, the story is kind of like this: the NFL was coming to Cleveland and got it on their minds that is there a band in Cleveland? First of all, even capable of doing what they wanted us to do, right? Um, and I guess they jumped in and just started calling all the venues all the every club every owner uh, like you know all the agencies in the in the area and stuff like that saying are there any bands in there you think capable of doing this what, what we've got in mind um and i guess our name just kept coming up a lot and credit where credit's due i think the nail in the coffin was uh the rock and roll hall of fame and again you're like the rock and roll hall of fame yeah somehow we've been playing gigs at the rock and roll hall of fame for like tons of them um and they were like the last people that the nfl reached out to i guess about that saying do you know of any bands who would you suggest whatever and i guess they just kind of dropped the hammer and were like there's only one band that could do this and if they're not available you're out of luck basically <laughs> and 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 the and so it convinced and the nfl got right a hold of us and asked us to do it and the funny thing is when they first asked us we said no because this was coming out, this is April, you know what I mean, of 2021. So this is this is like we just just barely not out of the pandemic. We're basically in it. Um, hadn't played at all. We had shut it down for an entire year, and like, um, so they call and we're like, so the first gig that we're gonna do in a year as a band is the NFL draft. Um, in front of like what turned out to be like 90 million people tuned into that. MGK was there. MGK was like 10 feet away from me and did his thing. He dropped the microphone and they were mad about that. Actually, he broke that microphone. Um, <laughs> of course you did. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so that's how that happened. And then we, we, they just said, this is the band that could do it. And like, you know, but um, we turned it down and then we kind of came to our senses. We were like, what are we doing? Like, let's just get let's practice right now you know what i mean because they got it was weird they reached out to us like the first week of april and we needed to be playing the last week of april so if you know the logistics of that as a band that's a lot with covid checks then everybody had to be like have two covid checks done in a 24-hour period and be not this or whatever like that so the draft but but i mean that's one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me the draft was unbelievable and we were right there to go to la this or not la uh vegas to do this year's draft and at the last second change of plans or we would have been at that one too and gosh who knows what that would have entailed but that would, i would have had great stories about that i'm sure and you did you end it with sweet caroline no we were just playing it it was just one of the songs we started playing you have uh you have um producers and a lot of different people in your ears when you're at these things you know what i mean so you're trying to sing a song and remember the lines to a song you've got three people shouting instructions in your ears as you're singing you know what i mean oh and like God. um so so anyway the commissioner walks out does the same thing every time comes down this little thing right in front of us 
And we're sitting there and we're like, okay, he's doing his thing and we're doing Sweet Caroline. And whatever happens, he gets to the bot and he starts like dancing around and singing and he, and the producer comes on just going crazy. He's like, the commissioner's never done this before, guys. Keep it rolling. Come on. You got, this is, hey, this is, what, what did he call it? He's like, this is television gold. This is television gold. Come on. Keep, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. And, and dude, the commissioner just went crazy. And he said, he said, in all my years of doing the draft, we've never had a moment like that this entire draft. He's like, boys, you, you pulled one off. Well done. You know? My and of course, brother. <laughs> to, us, to us, we're just like, we're just along for the ride. And every bit of it is bonus to us. But like, uh, it was fun. And I would say now I get to have that memory in my head of knowing what it's like to be a part of a production the size of the Super Bowl. I mean, it's the same basic production. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They fly, they fly the music equipment in from France. The speakers that they use are like so good. You can only get them in France, apparently. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. And then when you're walking around in the back, you football players all wear helmets, you know? So a lot of them, you don't recognize their faces, but like, you know, everybody in the back there is either a celebrity, some kind of a rock star, an old rock star or a football player. If they're like seven feet tall, and 300 pounds you're like well god that dude's obviously an old football player you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like regular humans aren't that size but it's cool when you get to be backstage that kind of thing because you know everybody back there is somebody somebody cool to some point yeah you know what i mean yeah but uh yeah super fun so i know you say like you're not the conspiracy guy or anything like that but you have had some experiences one in particular yes. with a UFO, and that's why, like, my favorite one. <laughs> so uh, tell me the story about that. Well, I guess staying on the theme of luck, right place, right time, I guess. That's all you can say about that. But it, what, what makes this compelling is, you know, I'm not the conspiracy guy. And I'll even tell you, I still won't just say that it's like aliens that I saw. I have no idea what I saw. All I know is it was, it was absolutely incredible. And like, especially at the time, I cannot imagine anything existing like it. You know what I mean? And at this point, here's the weird thing about memories. When memories go for a long time, you start to even ask yourself a little bit, man, did I really see that? You know what I mean? It's like, it's so crazy that I would have saw that, you know, but anyway, I'll get to the story first, but we're, me and my friends, this was the summer of 1997, me and some friends of mine were hanging at uh, the, uh, down at the place where you dock your boats, you know what I mean? The marina, we don't just go down, there's not much to do around here, so you just kind of go and find places to hang out. Marina's beautiful, you're sitting right there on the lake, you walk out in the water, it's cool. And we were out there, and we weren't supposed to be out there that late. You, you, it's after dark, you're technically supposed to leave, but it gets real pretty out there once it's dark. So sometimes we go out there and stay out until after dark and then just work our way out. We were down there after dark one time and we're kind of sitting out there or whatever. And we're just looking at the stars and there was not a cloud in the sky. It was just stars as far as the eye could see. It was amazing looking night. And we got to looking out over the lake coming from like the Canada side and seeing these weird lights that looked like maybe a plane or something. And then we were like, well, that's weird because it, it's moving real slow. And then we're like, maybe it's a helicopter. Maybe this and it's coming. And then it started feeling like it was coming right at us. And I thought everybody else was freaking out. And I was going, I was going, oh yeah, it's coming right at us. Look, guys, oh, it's coming right at us. <laughs> and then I look up and then it really does start to look like it's coming right at us. And I was like, holy crap. And then it freaked us out enough before we could really make heads or tails of what it was. It freaked us out enough that we started running up this 
this dock, this like this pier. It's a really long walk with water on both sides. And we're running down this dock and it breaks out into this yard. And we're running out across this yard. And by the time we get to the middle of this yard, this thing is hovering right over our heads. And if I had to estimate it, I would say it was about 50 yards, like a half a football field big. Mm-mm. And, and it, was, I could, if it was close enough to us that if I would have had a baseball in my hand, I would have been able to hit it with a baseball. It would have been hard, but I probably could have hit it with a baseball. <laughs> and, and, and there were about eight of us, which again, makes this more compelling to me because like, I, I don't have to remember it on my own. There were like eight people there. Um, but I remember one guy, his name was Frank. He was standing there. And I remember him saying to me, Dave, he's like, do you hear anything? And at that point, I was just like so scared and whatever, freaking out that I never took the time to realize that this thing was silent. It was complete. It wasn't making any noise. And when Frank said that to me, I could actually hear the waves breaking on the beach, like a hundred yards mm-hmm. away, but not that thing right above <laughs> my head. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, wild. And, and, and then, and then at, it, it, I, I'd say maybe two minutes it was there it, enough that we got calm because I actually said there's nothing to hide behind so if this thing actually wanted to zap us we'd be dead by now so you we kind of calmed down and we're just looking at it and then right about that time it just started moving out and you know Geneva on the lake it's a little strip that goes right up on the lake shore mm-hmm. there and it, it went right up just this side of Geneva on the lake on the shoreline and just drifted out of sight what, did it take it off fast or anything? Was nope. it like lightning speed? Nope. nope. It just hovered. It just hovered silently, went right straight up the straight up the line. And it wasn't super lit up. It wasn't like, but it was like it was there was enough light on it to where you could see it. You know what I mean? And it was real well, weird, you like know, dim. Well, I was just gonna say Lake Erie's like a hotbed yes. of UFO activity. Yeah. Well, and I, I told Meg about it. And me and Meg had a lot for many years. I had really only told Meg that story, but like, you know, and family members or whatever like that. But like, then one night me and Meg, I don't know if I told you this, but me and Meg, when we lived over on Vine Street in Geneva, we're out back one night um, after dark, just sitting back there, like kind of stargazing or whatever like that. And this big triangle thing came over our house that night. And it was, it was weird because it was like almost uh, translucent. And neither one of us, neither one of us knew what we were looking at or, or knew if we were seeing anything. So we sort of stopped and it flew over like real quick. I said, the whole thing was probably like seven seconds, but then it went over and disappeared and neither of us said anything. And then we looked over at each other and we were like, did you see something weird? And she goes, did you see it? And I said, yeah, I said, I did see it. I said, it was like a big triangle. Right. And she's like, yeah. She's like, but I felt like I could see stars like through it, but it's like, you know how they do those things you've seen on those shows where the ships come and like, you can still see the stars, but they get a little wavy. Mm-hmm. That's almost like how it was. Like it was almost made of glass. Like it was when cloaked. It went over, like it was cloaked or something. It was just weird. And that was another one that Meg saw that one. You know what I mean? She's didn't a school you, teacher. Didn't you see one that would like you, it was so obvious you like stopped on the side of the road and like another guy pulled up behind well, you and got was, out of the yeah, car? I saw one again over the lake, not super far from where I saw that first one. Obviously that was the main thing. That's the one I can tell you. That's just crazy. I, the main I have no explanation triangle? for that. No, it was, it was like a rectangle. 
It was like oh. a it was literally like 50 yards of football field. That's exactly what it looked like, you know what I mean? And it, and and like um but the one you're talking about was I came I was driving up Lake Road coming home from work and saw something weird flying out over that that was kind of like one of those triangly type looking things and it was just getting dark and I pull, I could see it and it was enough to where I was like what is that? I pulled my car over and was looking and right about that, and I was looking and trying so hard to see it. And right about that time, I heard a voice, a, a voice next to me. And somebody said, what the hell is that? And I just looked over and I didn't know what someone else had stopped. You know what I mean? And it pulled up yeah. and said, what the heck was that? And I was like, dude, I don't know, but I'm glad you stopped. I was like, I was just like, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking I was crazy. You know what I mean? And he's like, no, I saw it too, man. And like, yeah, just blink of an eye. It's just gone. But Lake Erie it is weird, weird, weird shit flies over yeah. there. And so if I, okay, I'm going to pose three things to you. And if you had to, not saying that you a hundred percent believe in it, but if you had to pick one, do you think that it's us from the future coming back in like some incredible technology we developed? Do you think that it's actually extraterrestrials coming from other planets coming to visit us aliens, or do you think it's interdimensional? Uh, well, I, I guess, or, or do you well, hold think on, that, hold on. well, no, I, I, I would guess that if it's, if as, as gigantic as the universe is, and now people talk to me about multiverses and like, what, what is what, and my, my headphones might be going, hold on a second. like with all the how gigantic is the universe and like uh, me and Meg have been watching shows about this kind of stuff lately and stuff, but it's like, if it's as big as they say, and they don't really know what space is and dark matter is now a substance. And we're starting to realize that space is its own thing. It's a tangible thing. Um, who knows what that means you can do to warp it. And so I guess if I had my instincts would be, there's something from really far away that's just way older than us um and they found a way to get here somehow or another but but you know somebody told me too they were like I i've heard this theory about how even if these aliens are here they might not actually be like anatomical beings like they could just be like like you know the movie surrogates mm -hmm. where it's like you just send a robot out into the world to kind of do your bidding it's like if you're a billion years ahead of us in technology i bet they're not even here well, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is do you the the fourth option was going to be do you think that it's like back engineered uh, stuff and it's it's just like our deep underground military people flying around these crap that they that they back engineered or something. Yeah, I, I don't I just have I it all I've heard so much and I think that's part of it. You know what I mean is like they throw so much at you that you don't know what to believe anymore or like what's what's good that's why i say it's like i even have to feel weird about like now that they've because at first i was the one of the ones celebrating like oh they're starting to put out footage you know all this stuff about the nesmith and they're showing the little tic tacs flying and like oh look it's 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 right there now we're all getting to see it so i wasn't crazy you know what i mean mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. but now i've even talked myself into thinking maybe the government just trying to get us to think they're real so we're not on to the shit that they're building. You know what I right. mean? It's like, yeah. It's like, here's, here's the one thing I do think about. When I saw footage for the first time of like that, what, what did they call it? It's either the Black Hawk or like. Yeah. 
the airplane the airplane that they had back in like the 1950s that looked so incredible it looked like something you could barely build today mm-hmm. and i think about if you saw that flying in the 1950s you would think you saw a ufo yeah a million a million percent so my thing is what if what i saw is just that same leap ahead but just it's 2000 and or it's 1997 as opposed to 1957, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I, what's the technology now? But I have no idea, but I will say I get mad at people. Um, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson and I love the people who like to talk science and I love the people who like to kind of poo poo the crazy conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But when they get too much into the, there's nothing credible. These sightings aren't credible. And if it was really happening, people would have video uh, listen, I, I agree with what they're saying. If it was really, but the idea that every sighting is false because there's not like tons and tons of it, maybe sightings are unbelievably rare and there's just a ton of people full of shit, but I can tell you that what I saw really happened. Mm-hmm. Not even trying to tell you it's aliens. I'm just telling you that's what happened. So when Neil deGrasse Tyson says, people aren't really seeing this, you're wrong, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'll fight fight you about do people see it. If if you've got answers about what it is, cool, I'll take them. But like, they need to be convincing because I know what I saw. Right, exactly. And so have you ever had like paranormal experiences? I mean... Not a, I don't feel like I've had a super ton that aren't a super that couldn't be explained with me just like being a, too sleepy or too high. Well, because, uh, you know, everybody's had a ghost story from I, Mama's house. Yes, I hear people's ghost stories, especially from Mama's house. And I've heard a lot of them and I love I love to hear the stories and they're and some of them are creepy. Um, you know what I mean? A lot of the ones about the Fort Avenue house where Connie and them lived and and like um creepy stories about that house and stuff that came from a lot of different people. I just don't know about that kind of stuff when it comes to, and and again, I, I like to think, I don't know why a ghost would spend their time scaring you. (laughs) Really think about it. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and if, and if ghosts are scary, then it's just because you're perceiving them that way. Because like I said, any weird ghostly sort of like feelings I've had, I feel like they've all been, uh, all more positive than anything. Like, like when, when, uh, Papa died and I didn't know about it and I was living over on Tibbet street and, and I was in the, I was having really bad panic attacks at the time, like, like sort of constant panic attacks where it was like, you could almost trace back the days where I felt good by, I'd, I could count the days I felt good better than I could count the days I felt bad. Cause there were too many that I felt bad. You know what I mean? It was like constant. And one day I was like right in the middle of a panic attack. I was doing the dishes. I was in the house by myself. And I even said, I was like, I felt like a wind whipped through the room I was in and just like perked me up like this. And I just felt good. No panic. Mm-hmm. No, you know what I mean? No fear, no nothing. Uh, I just felt really, really good. And I even took note of it like, oh, that's weird. I never just feel good out of nowhere like that. That's, that's crazy. Uh, and then it wasn't that long after that, that somebody called me and said, Papa passed away. And it was like kind of right around that time. And I told people from then on, I said, he swat, he swung by, 
Mm-hmm. But he well, for a quick visit to Dayboy before he took off, man. That's how it felt. He went right through me. It felt like. And it was it was funny, too, because the night that I went to go see mom right before she passed away, I had no idea that was going to happen that night. I had just came over after work because I wanted to see her and be with her. And I just had like this really, really intense feeling that I was like, I know Davey doesn't always answer his phone, but let's just try it. I was like, I feel like we should just call him. We should, and well, if he doesn't answer them, you know, we can at least say we tried to call him, you know, and you answered like on the first ring. And I was like, how weird is that? Because that is rare. That's very- And so I, we were just like, hey, you know, if you, ha- if you want to talk to mom a little bit. And then like immediately after you hung up with the, uh, hung up the phone with us, she, she died like an hour later. Ugh. That's so crazy too. And it was like, I was glad that I got, man, I'll never forget that the call that I had with mom, that last call that they called me, you know what I mean? And it's like, that was just so, I was, I was glad you, some, you don't feel like you'd be glad to have that, but I'm so glad I got to have that, you know? And because mom was the conspiracy queen before she was the OG conspiracy theorist talk her out of a lot of them although although i will say some of the ones that i still hang with her on are the kennedy stuff a little bit because i was just i was raised in it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. too many questions about the kennedy thing um but yeah she was the absolute conspiracy queen man she loved it all and like um she just loved a good story i think and Is man, the Hamiltons, we're dramatic. We're dramatic folks. We tell a good story. I think we tell such a good story sometimes we forget <laughs> what, what story and what actually happened. Um, well, yeah, but you remember like mom had just gotten over chemo and she was starting to feel a little bit better and you came to visit us and she was like, Davey, take me to go see Dealey Plaza. I want to see where President Kennedy was like on her bucket list. And I remember, I remember in that moment, they were like, um, uh, everybody was trying to kind of get out of it. Like we were all talking about going. Then they were like, well, I don't know. It's so hot. And it's this and that. And I remember getting mad and being like, no, we're going. Because I knew if we didn't go, we would never go. And that mm-hmm. would be it. We would die and we won't go. You know? And I was like, we're going. And we went. And now I've got those great pictures. Um, but I will tell you what that did to me going there and standing on that x you remember standing on the x what did it do to you i'll tell you what the x did to me standing on the x and looking back at the window it's a makeable shot (laughs) but it's a makeable shot and it broke my heart it did it broke my heart i looked up at that window and i was like oh it's not that hard of a shot when you see it on tv it really does look a lot harder than it would actually be i'm not even saying you did it i still think there's super compelling evidence that the that shots came from the front and here's why you can talk to the doctors mm-hmm. that one thing i always come back to is the one people that you couldn't really truly silence and really could, and they don't really push it that much, but those doctors at Parkland that were there when he came in, and there's one guy that's actually really compelling to listen to his stories. They're older now. You can still get them on YouTube. And he's the guy that just, he says over and over again about the exit wound on the back of the head that was opened up like this and an entrance wound right here. And like, I'm telling you, it's, it's all of that is super compelling because he's saying it's not even a question. There's no possible way that there's not a 
exit wound at the back of his head. You know what I mean? And it's like, so mm-hmm. I don't, I'll take his word for it. And maybe he's wrong. I'm, I've made a living now in my life of staying in the middle. I, you never have to be wrong if you never have a true answer. But, <laughs> that's what I, but listen, that's what I say too. I, I, I live by the, the old Plato. I'm, I'm just smart enough to know that I don't know anything at all. <laughs> so let me ask you the honorary question. All right. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, it's, it's going to be cliche at this point, maybe, um, my favorite scary movie for a long time was Halloween. John Carpenter probably still is, um, Friday, the 13th part four with Corey Feldman. Uh, the final chapter, I think they called that one is almost took the place of Halloween for a while. But now I think if you sent me to an island and I could only take one scary movie with me, the watchability factor of over and over at this point in my life, I would have to pick Scream. Scream? You basic bitch. I'm sorry. It's a a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. How is it a masterpiece? Listen, it just is. It's it's it checks every box and dots every I for what you want in a in a in a slasher movie. And I'll tell you why the kills the kills were violent. Um, and more violent than, than normal at that time. You know what I mean? Things had gotten sort of they'd gone away from that. It got more kid like. You know what I mean? There for a minute, and Scream just came back and was like, "We're bringing slashers back." <laughs> And everybody was getting it. The iconic mask. When was the last time a new mask came out that everyone wears on Halloween after Mike Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason? There was nobody. There was nothing. Yes, there was. Who? The Purge and that movie, The Strangers, where they wear the sacks over their head. The Purge came after. That brought it all back. Now you're making my point for me. I'm talking (laughs) up until Scream. What was the mask other than Jason? That shit died out. You know what I mean? Whatever. But the people were still wearing the mask. If I'm going trick-or-treating, Mike Myers, they had nothing. And here comes Scream. Changed it all. It was awesome. That's I, I think right this second. And again, you do, I can't believe you got me to pick one because I don't pick favorites. But like I said, gun to head right this second. You can only watch one Scream. And I think the series is good. Some of the well, movies- the series was good. The series was good, and it had uh, the the Matthew Lillard in it or whatever that first one, and the kid who looked like Johnny Depp and Courtney Cox. I mean, that's a pretty pretty good spread. Uh, uh, opening scene: Drew Barrymore, get out! She just died. <laughs> that started that, by the way. Celebrities never died in movies, especially in the first. You kidding me? I, when I turned that movie on, I was like, this is going to be awesome. It's a Drew Barrymore movie. I love her. She was dead in 15 seconds. <laughs> you know what's crazy about this whole thing? I'm fighting you on why Scream is your favorite scary movie. And my whole catch line for my honorary question came from Scream. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> that is so cool, man. This is- well, we're going to have to do a part two. Because I think my phone is going to die now. 
No, that's okay. We'll wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming on. And I will plug your band and uh, hopefully you'll write my jingle for me. I will. I will. We'll figure it out at some point. But don't put it. Musicians don't work well under pressure. Just give me time. Conspiracy. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Conspiracies. I believe some. But not all. Not as much as you. But kind of. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a good place to end it all right good night everybody yeah i'm part two bye-bye thank you for listening this far into the episode i really appreciate it i'm so happy that i got to have this conversation with my brother and so stay tuned because coming up right now is a song from his band uptight sugar you're gonna love it and go ahead and find him on iTunes Uptight Sugar if you want to hear more. <laughs>